Hello, my name is David Lesner, and I'm one of the pastors at Creekwood United Methodist Church. We are located in Fairview, Texas, right east of Allen, just north of the Dallas area. The sermon you're about to hear was recorded at one of our worship services, which we'd love to invite you to check out live at 8.30 a.m. for traditional or 11 a.m. for contemporary on Sunday mornings on our Facebook page or the recorded version on YouTube. We'd love for you to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC or our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more information about what is happening and how you can grow with us in our mission to share God's love. If you feel inspired, there's also a way to give at the top of the website. Thanks for listening to this sermon, and we hope it inspires you in your journey with God. Good morning, church. Uh, Today's reading comes from Numbers 11, verses 10 through 15. Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families, all at the entrances of their tents. Then the Lord became very angry, and Moses was displeased. So Moses said to the Lord, Why have you treated your servant so badly? Why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all this people on me? Did I conceive all this people? Did I give birth to them that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a sucking child to the land that you promised on oath to their ancestors? Where am I to get meat to give all this people? For they come weeping to me and say, give us meat to eat. I am not able to carry all this people alone, for they are too heavy for me. If this is the way you are going to treat me, put me to death at once. If I have found favor in your sight, and do not let me see my misery. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning and welcome again uh, to our third week in our stigma-free sermon series. Um, This is where we've been looking at different aspects um, of our mental health care and what the book of Numbers and the Israelite people wandering through the wilderness have to say about this. So I know it's been said many times during the service for those of us who are worshiping here in person and those who are worshiping online, um, but I know that there are some people that watch this on YouTube later or sometimes listen to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. So just as a reminder, we are issuing a content warning for this sermon. This sermon, the title that I've given it is The Truth About Depression. And so we are going to talk specifically and explicitly about depression. And as the scripture that Rick read for us at the beginning hopefully alluded to, so this is not a surprise, suicidal thoughts and words. So are you, if you are here with us live and you are in a season of life where you are not ready to hear a sermon on these topics, I recommend that you um, step out or if you're watching online, maybe log off, skip this, but maybe return to it later. Maybe revisit this sermon online where it's in a season of life where you might be better to receive it. So let's start by making sure we are on the same page by defining depression properly. Just like we talked about last week with anxiety disorders, there are some things with depression that I think we need to unlearn. Depression is not simply having just one bad day. Depression is not simply feeling sad. Depression is not just mental. Depression is not a choice. Depression is not only brought on by a traumatic event. 
And depression is not a result of sin. This week, I had the chance to pull out what has, in this sermon series, become my handy-dandy notebook, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, or DSM. And this is what it says to define depression. Depression, otherwise known as major depressive disorder or clinical depression, is a common and serious mood disorder. Those who suffer from depression experience persistent feelings of sadness and hopelessness and lose interest in activities they once enjoyed. Aside from the emotional problems caused by depression, individuals can also present with a physical symptom such as chronic pain or digestive issues. To be diagnosed with depression, symptoms must be present for at least two weeks. Biologically, there is very little certainty as to what we know about depression, but we do know a few things. Depression is a chemical imbalance in the brain that causes both mental and physical symptoms that can take over a person. Depression can take on many forms. No two people diagnosed with depression will have all of the same symptoms or even experience them to the same level of intensity. Depression causes this phenomenon that our friend Dr. Bessel van der Kolk calls losing your body. Depression causes uh, this, this loss of agency. The relationship in our own inner reality becomes impaired. Physical symptoms in the body and mental systems in the brain cause a disconnect between your body and your brain. Depression causes somatic and cognitive changes in the brain and in the body. The emotions of sadness, emptiness, and irritability take a toll on the brain and the body in the same way that many other illnesses do. In fact, some scientists even affirm that if untreated, Depression can shred the brain, similar to the way that MS does. Depression robs a person of motivation, and this can really hurt their ability to function and take on normal tasks. Depression causes major fatigue and loss of energy every single day. And some have even described that depression causes this brain fog, which causes a person um, to, to feel like they can't think or they can't concentrate. Biologically, what's happening here? Depression causes the major parts of the brain that we learned about last week, the hippocampus, which stores memory, and the amygdala, which houses all of your emotions, good and bad. Depression causes these really important parts of your brain to shrink, which reduces their functionality. With some people, it's easy to tell that they have depression. And there are some of us that do a stellar job of masking it. So in this passage from Numbers 11, we get a glimpse of Moses speaking to God. And if you listen to Rick reading it, Moses uses some really intense words. When I was working with the uh, middle school, Sunday school class today, we uh, were asked, do you know what the word context means? 
And we talked about how when we look at the Bible and we talk about context, we look at what becomes before and after a passage. And so I think it's worth exploring the context of what happens to lead to this outburst from the Israelite leader. So you know when you're watching a show and it starts with previously on Gilmore Girls or Friends or whatever you are watching, because apparently I'm stuck in 2005. So previously in the book of Numbers, the Israelite people have been wandering in the wilderness since they had escaped from slavery in Egypt. When there was a problem of navigation and knowing where to go, God provided. There was a cloud and a pillar of fire that led them so they would know where to go. Now, I'm not sure the last time you were all wandering in the desert in the Sinai Peninsula, but there's not exactly an all-you-can-eat buffet there with chicken nuggets and mac and cheese and milkshakes. So naturally, as bodies tend to do, the Israelite people were hungry. So God provided. Manna came from the sky. Birds would drop manna down every day for the people. And if you look in chapter 11, verses 7 through 9, right before our passage for today, tells us all of the things that they did with the manna. But the people are not satisfied. They want meat. In fact, there's this small, um, and my translation uses the word rabble, um, that starts this out loud complaining and demanding of meat. These people say that they were better off as slaves when they were back in Egypt because of the food that they got to eat and they were complaining. And so the, this rabble causes the entire camp to be wailing at the opening of their tents. And they were complaining. Have you ever been so desperate for barbecue in your entire life that you were wailing outside of your door? So Moses hears this, and he goes to God. Now, I want to be very clear this morning that I am by no means a mental health expert or a diagnostician, but I think it's okay if we look at verses 10 through 15 through the lens of Moses having a depressive episode. So I'm going to read it for us again. Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families, and all the entrances of their tents. Then the Lord became very angry, and Moses was displeased. So Moses said to the Lord, Why have you treated your servant so badly? Why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give birth to them that you should say, Carry them in your bosom like it's a nurse carries a sucking child to the land that you promised? on oath to their ancestors? Where am I to get all the meat to give to these people? For they come to me weeping and say, give us meat to eat. I am not able to carry all these people alone, for they are too heavy for me. If this is the way that you are going to treat me, put me to death at once, if I have found favor in your sight. And do not let me see my misery. Moses has feelings of helplessness and hopelessness. Moses shows us that the emotions of sadness and emptiness and irritability are taking over him. He has a loss of interest in his daily activities. 
caring for and being the leader of the Israelite people. Moses is angry, and Moses is irritable. Moses has strong feelings of worthlessness and guilt. I think one of the most interesting metaphors, maybe in all of Scripture right here, is when Moses compares himself to a woman who has given birth and then has to continue to give of her body afterwards. He feels so drained. These are all symptoms of depression. And the last symptom of depression that Moses gives us a glimpse of is a sentence about suicide. According to the DSM-5, suicide is a symptom of depression. And it is very common. It is a symptom that exists at all times because the chemical imbalance caused by depression in the brain can cause extreme isolation And the impact that it has on the brain and the areas of the brain that it is working with can actually cause a reduction in logical thinking. Think back to Moses. Is it logical to be that upset? I mean, barbecue is good. We love meat in my house, right? But is it logical to be that upset? Depression causes your brain to shut down. And that means reduced functionality. It means that um, you can't think or concentrate. And sometimes it means that the basic truths that you know and you understand when you are not depressed are difficult to understand when you are. Moses shows us that his brain is telling him the untrue message that death is better than the current burden of leadership. People who are suicidal see death as the only way out of their perceived extremely emotional state. People who are suicidal have an inability to force any enjoyment in their life. People who are suicidal don't want to be a burden to others. And their desire to give up comes from perceived insurmountable obstacles. And to take what we know about depression, no wonder it doesn't help with any of these situations. So I want to take a moment just to say this, in case you don't ever hear it from anyone else. If you or someone you know indicates on any level, either verbal or digital, that they are seeing suicide as the only way out, there are things that you can do. The first two are actually on the back of your handouts when you came in today, just in case you need them. The National Suicide Hotline number is 1-800-273-8255. And sometimes when you are depressed, you don't want to talk on the phone. And so there's actually now a crisis text line that you can um, text back and forth with someone who um, is trained in trauma response. And so what you do for that is you just text the word HOME to the number 741741. Both of these options are available to you 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I have them saved to my phone, um, not always just for me, but um, to send to someone else in case that they need it. 
And they're also on the back of your discussion guide. But a third option that is available to you that um, if you are in contact with someone that is seeing suicide as the only way out, and maybe you don't live in the same area as they are, you can always call 911 or your local police department to request a wellness check for someone that you are concerned about. So I'm gonna turn back to numbers and take a look at what God does for Moses. Verses 16 and 17 say this. So the Lord said to Moses, Gather for me 70 of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and the officers over them. Bring them to the tent of meeting and have them take their place there with you. I will come down and talk with you there. And I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them, and they shall bear the burden of the people along with you so that you will not have to bear it all by yourself. If you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, there's one thing about the book of Numbers that I want you to get. Does anybody remember? We're doing really well for the one thing. Uh, God pays attention, right? Repeat it to me. What? You'll get it next week when Lesnar quizzes you. Um, God pays attention. God is not afraid or judgmental of the anger and irrational comments that come from Moses. And at the same time, God takes Moses' suicidal sentence very seriously. God helps Moses see what is right in front of him, and God tells Moses what to do next. Now notice something here. God does not tell Moses to look on the bright side. God does not tell Moses that he is being irrational. God does not tell Moses to get over it. God tells Moses what to do next. God tells Moses to gather a community of people around him. God tells Moses to do the opposite of what Moses' brain is telling him. God tells Moses, do not isolate. God wants to help Moses with the burden of leadership that he is struggling with. And remember the last thing that God says to Moses. I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them so that you will not have to bear the burden all by yourself. So the sermon is titled, The Truth About Depression. So if you want a short, tweet-sized version, here it is. The truth about depression is that we need each other. Depression takes away your motivation. It makes your body physically hurt and physically ache. Depression tells your brain the lie that you are alone and telling someone else how you are feeling will make you a burden. The emotions of hopelessness and despair are so prevalent. So keeping silent is the easiest thing to do. It's also the worst thing to do. So I want to mention three things that can help people who are living with depression. The first two are therapy and medication. If you've not heard it clearly from the pulpit in the last three weeks, therapy and medication are wonderful things that I participate in when I need them, that plenty of other wonderful Christian leaders participate in when they need them. 
And I invite you to revisit last week's sermon for a little bit more of an in-depth discussion about therapy and medication. But there are all kinds of methods that have been proven to help people with depression. Medication is also a great tool that we have against the disease. I believe that God created the scientists that make antidepressants to help us. But remember from last week that the medicine doesn't do the work for you. Antidepressants and anti-anxiety medication get your brain to a level of functioning where you can deal and do the work in therapy. But I want to close with one of the most important tools that we have to help us if we are living with depression. In fact, I would say that this tool might be more important than therapy and medication because for many of us, it is the first and most difficult step to take, which is asking someone for help. A few years ago, a pastor friend of mine preached what I'm sure was a wonderfully eloquent sermon, but there's only one thing that I remember about it. McDonald's chicken nuggets and mayonnaise. He tells this story about being in college and the moment he knew he needed to ask for help because he was depressed and he had rock bottom, hit, hit rock bottom because he went to McDonald's and all he got was chicken nuggets and mayonnaise. Anybody hungry? <laughs> I don't remember a single other thing from that sermon except that when you're having your chicken nuggets and mayonnaise day, that's the day you need to think about asking for help. So last summer, I noticed that my energy was not sustaining me through the day. My hips and my back were hurting a lot more than they should for a 25-year-old. I had little to no appetite. The idea of simply getting out of bed in the morning in itself was exhausting. I rejected phone calls we had because I had no energy to talk. And I had no motivation to do anything except the bare minimum of work that would make it look like I was okay. Getting through the most visible part of this job, which is Sunday mornings, felt like climbing Mount Everest every single week. But my chicken nuggets and mayonnaise moment came when just like Moses, I snapped at anger at something completely not logical. And someone who knows me and cares for me told me that in that moment, I did not sound like Carrie Lynn. And that's when I knew I needed some extra help. So that afternoon, I actually texted my friend that gave the mayonnaise and chicken nuggets sermon, and I asked if we could talk on the phone sometime in the next month. Now, bless him for either seeing the urgency in my text message or I'd like to believe the work of the Holy Spirit. He called me 20 minutes later. I explained to him what was going on, that I had had my chicken nuggets and mayonnaise moment without the chicken nuggets and mayonnaise, and he listened. He affirmed that it was good that I was asking for help, and he helped connect me with a psychiatrist who has been helping me manage my depression for the past year. I am so grateful that my friend had the courage to preach a sermon that I would remember the chicken nuggets and mayonnaise part a few years later so that I knew I could ask for help. 
Now, one of the things I wanna be really clear about this morning is I'm not preaching this sermon so that I can be proud of me or that you can be proud of me. I'm not preaching it to brag because I am still in the process of living with depression. But I preach it today because the only reason I thought to ask for help was that somebody else had said it. Somebody else told their story. This summer, I've started my annual rewatch of The West Wing, which is quickly becoming my very favorite show in the entire universe. And one of the best episodes of the show, the one that won a bunch of Emmys, is in the second season called Noel. And if you want to see one of the most accurate depictions of PTSD and depression and an anxiety disorder on television, I recommend that you go watch this episode. But the episode ends with one character telling another this story. This guy's walking down the street and he falls into a hole. The walls are so steep that he can't get out. A doctor passes by and the guy shouts up, hey you, can you help me out? So the doctor writes a prescription and throws it down the hole and moves on. Then a priest comes by and the guy shouts up, father, I'm down in this hole, can you help me out? The priest writes out a prayer, throws it down the hole, and moves on. Then a friend walks by. Hey, Joe, it's me. Can you help me out? And the friend jumps in the hole. And our guy says, are you stupid? Now we're both down here. And the friend says, yeah, but I've been down here before, and I know the way out. The truth about depression is this. We need each other. Some of us have been down in the hole, and we know the way out. And so we need to tell our stories. Some of us are called to be the ones that um, surround a person to help alleviate the burden so that they are not carrying it all by themselves. And so we need to listen. Some of us are gonna be the ones that need to point to a person to what to do next. And we need to not judge. And we need to not say the hurtful things, like look on the bright side. So we need to be present. We need to continue to talk about the stigma of mental health. Because keeping silent might actually kill us. Some of us have been in the hole and we know the way out. And God gave us one another so that we could tell that story, we could help others know the way out. God has given us one another. Thanks be to God for that. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the people who've been in the hole and know the way out. We thank you for the people that you surround us with to help alleviate the burdens that we carry. We thank you for the people that sit with us, that check on us, that know us and love us. And God, if our brains are telling us that we are alone or that our problems don't matter or that we are a burden to someone else, I ask that you would send people to remind us of the truth. 
to tell us what to do next, to tell us the way out to alleviate the burdens that we are carrying. God, we thank you for what you show us with Moses in the book of Numbers. Help us to continue to be a holy community together. Thank you for giving us the gift of one another. Let us continue to embrace that. It's in your name we ask these things. Amen. Thanks for listening. We would love if you could leave us a review on whatever platform you are listening today and let us know how we are doing. Be sure to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC and our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more ways to get involved at Creekwood United Methodist Church in person, online, or both. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.